0: Hi, folks, a little bit of housekeeping before we start the podcast. We are looking for your support. Difficult out there, it's difficult in here. We're trying to keep this show on the road, and the only way we do that is if you click the link that's in the podcast you're listening to right now that says patreon.com forward slash tortoisecheck and see if there's a level that you're happy to support this podcast, this platform, and this network at. It makes all the difference, but it's not a one way street. You get tons of additional content for that. Right now, this morning, there's a great conversation with human rights and immigration lawyer, Wendy Lyon, on the, how do I put it, misreporting uh, that's gone on around the refugee crisis and the issues with uh, people in emergency accommodation. There's also fantastic coverage with, with hospital consultant Colin Byrne on different health systems in different countries. Needless to say, he's a big supporter of Solange Care and believes it can be implemented definitely well worth a listen and that will be out shortly also great news out of brazil overnight we will be going back there to cover that over the course of the next few days thanks for listening thanks for supporting but please do consider going over to the patreon link it's the only way we keep these show on the road it makes all the difference as i say all the time it's 550 a month plus vat it's doesn't sound a lot when i say it out like that but it can be for some people and i understand that but if you have it please pay it forward it helps us keep these podcasts free and available to as many people as possible thanks for listening thanks for support enjoy the podcast
1: good afternoon and welcome to the tortoise shack sunday special i am the host uh, that has just just the from my um from the skeleton face to put on my other mask uh, and be joined by someone who's uh, who, who before we came on air said to me, "Yeah, no, we wear several masks up here." Sam McElwain from Shrapnel has
2: joined us uh, as as co-host today. Sam, how are you? I'm not too bad, Tony. I see you've had a rough morning, so we'll take it easy on you today.
1: Yeah, no, it's been a rough, it's been a rough bit of time. But look, and the other fella, obviously still unwell, but uh, he'll, he's he, I see he's given he's well enough to give out on Twitter, and yet he's not mm-hmm. well enough to come in here. That's a, that's some. Uh, mental gymnastics he's pulling off. Anyway, we are delighted to be joined by uh, regulars on the podcast, uh, Mr. polls himself, Harry Mekhev and Sonya, and Dublin Inquirer uh, journalist Shamim Mian. Shamim, we will come to you shortly. We're also joined by Sinn Féin Senator Lynn Boylan. I just want to c- cover off a couple of things. Look, we've all seen the news out of South Korea Um, overnight. It is absolutely beyond reasoning how over 150 people now are dead and Attending a Halloween uh, party, I, I don't know what to say other than to say we, you know, you can't not see the images and hope and and think that it's devastating for so many young people to be out and enjoying themselves on on a, on a night out. Um, and there's there's not there's not a lot to, to to cover on it other than I hate all the speculation that's floating around and uh, the camera footage and all the rest of it. So it all makes it all very difficult for people. Another thing that um. I do I should have opened with because it didn't get enough uh coverage this week. Homelessness is just shy of eleven thousand for the first time. It's twenty it's ten thousand seven hundred and seventy five people. It's 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 just it's a new low and a new low for the state, a new low for the citizenry. And it's it's obviously going to filter into a lot of discussion we have today. But I think it's just incredibly, incredibly uh, sad news that we continue to see people being evicted from the private rental sector into, into homelessness. And then the other thing is in this podcast, the link for the ICCL uh, portal that's helping people reach out about the mother and baby homes redress scheme and and let their TDs know that we're not happy with it is there. So if you're listening to this podcast, all you have to do we've made it nice and simple. You can click on the link and you'll be able to find out who your TDs are and co- contact them and let them know that we don't want we don't want this penny pinching, delay, deny, wait for me to die. That's That's, that's basically my, my kind of rant out of the way. I do want, I do want to come to, uh, Sam first, if you don't mind though. Uh, Sam, first of all, thanks for coming on and, and and bailing me out. And then second of all, it's gone, it's gone really like you did a a kind of an emergency shrapnel yourself and Gareth this week and you felt that it had to be done. And since then the rhetoric has actually probably escalated. It's gotten worse. Uh, do you want to just give me your take on it? if, If you don't mind.
2: I don't know where they all think this is going to go. Um, it's not as if we don't have a roadmap for this kind of rhetoric and language and where it ends up. Um, it's, it's sad and it's disappointing to see that there's there's characters now coming into the equation that we thought had stepped off the stage and had gone. Um, I know we get it every week in the Sunday papers that one group or another are doing such and such, but to, to the, the large extent, they were nowhere near as active as they were. And we're now starting to see those people voicing opinions that I didn't think I'd ever see again, and it, it is worrying. Um, I know Gareth, my co-host, expressed the other night he was he was frightened. Um, it is a very unsettling situation. The instability is is palpable, and um, it, it's just getting to that point of where where the turn comes. Uh, we we need to turn off off this road on the on the more political and peaceful route. We don't we do not need these comments.
1: We don't need those comments. We also probably don't need um some of the some of the you know what what was the, the we're gonna review the basis for the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. Um they're fine. Uh, the idea then again the the reasoning being put forward is the idea that's been stated that there might be joint authority. We know the solution to that. Get Stormont working.
2: Yeah. I mean it, it's it's a problem that solves itself, but it seems to be that there's, there's too many too many players in this game who 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 don't have the will to move forward. who don't don't want to take those chances. I mean, for whatever reason, they're backed in the corners, or they they see a way out of this that's to their game. Um, the, the only people who are going to lose in this are the only working class again, um, and, and it is going to be young men. Can, predominantly can I, from the loyalist community, are going to suffer for this. That's what I wanted
1: to ask you because we've seen in the in your community that that actual social disadvantage, the social mobility, the lack of educational attainment, they, those issues have been you know widening and getting worse for the, for the last couple of decades. None of this rhetoric helps there. None of this rhetoric actually tackles this. And yet, you said on the podcast to Gareth during the week that you felt that the middle ground was going to be eaten and it'll just become more polarized issue. Yeah. And
2: Th- Those people here on the sort of periphery of the middle ground who have moved into a softer center may feel that they have to move back to the polar. So if you're a nationalist slash Republican and you've lent a lance a vote, you may feel to shore up uh, Michelle O'Neill and, and first minister and keep that claim there. You're going to have to go back that direction uh, and, and vice versa, if you're off a unionist or a loyalist background and you voted Alliance because you thought you could be more centrist, more middle, uh, uh, a bit softer, you're probably thinking to yourself now, I need to go back, even though I don't agree with any of their policies, I'll probably need to go back to try and replace, because even if DUP become first minister, there might be a storm for it. Although I can't see why there would be, I don't see any, I don't see how we're enticing Sinn Féin to come back and as deputy first minister if we can't accept the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we we need to do something different it, here we, we it, need different thinking
1: there was um one of the well known spokespeople uh, commentators from the uh, dup commentators made that comment about you know if we temp back that we can reinstall the unionist majority and re- reclaim the First minister's position. I don't, like. I, Lynn, I, I want to come to you on, on your story as well, but I don't know if, if you, you want to comment on some of this, because obviously Sinn Fein have got, have won the last election and should have installed a first minister by now. And yet here we are. We're talking about an election in the middle of just before Christmas and we're talking and we're hearing threats of, you know, we're going back to the, the, the old days of watch out for violence again.
3: No, I think it's really concerning that the that comments that are that, that statements that was put out, um, you know, and, and as Sam is saying it, it is really working class uh, loyalist communities that are being let down because there isn't leadership being shown by, you know, who, those who are supposed to be representing them politically. Um, but look, for Sinn Féin's point of view, we want the assembly up and running. You know, there's a cost of living crisis on both sides of the border. But unfortunately, in the north, there's money that's there that can't be allocated because there is no functioning executive. Um, you know, so that's where our ambition is to try and get that assembly back up and running. But it, it is worrying to see statements like that coming out.
1: Yeah, it it it, it doesn't augur well for the months ahead if, if this is the, the, the starting place for like... There's no diplomacy in, in, in these. There's no room for diplomacy if there. If you were starting from those points, there's just not Sam. You can't have diplomacy for starting so, uh, from.
2: And I don't think our Secretary of State has helped by kicking the can down the road slightly. No. Um, you, you create a vacuum. Then at least if we have a date that there's going to be an election, people people turn their attention towards that. And again, that is political and peaceful. Um, but if we create a vacuum where there's no sign of an election, nothing upcoming, and we're stuck in this this quicksand, we're just going to get sucked into it.
1: Yeah, look, we we we'll, we might we might come back to parts of this in, as we go on, but but Lynn, I do want to talk about um, a very interesting thing that's come this come to come to pass. It's it's uh I the only I'm trying to come I was trying to come up with an analogy, uh, and I was just trying to think of you know who polices the police in a way. Um, this is you know you are Sinn, Sinn Fein's climate spokesperson. This is something that you've been you've been keeping an eye on. The story is in today's Sunday Business Post, but do you want to give listeners an idea of the the problems we have around um, the government not acting on the own government's uh, laws and legislation when it comes to environmental protections?
3: Yeah, uh, uh, and this is a story I've been literally. Have like a dog with a bone because it's taken and Shamim would know the FOIs and eight months trying to get uh the information and being stonewalled. We've I've raised it in the the Shannon and through parliamentary questions and constantly just denials that anything was going on. But but I knew because I'd been tipped off as to what happened in Emo Court. Um so just by way of background, in uh, October 2019, uh the OPW. Which is the the state body supposed to be, you know, protecting our heritage, uh, hired an, an ecological team to do a study about works that they wanted to carry out in Emo Court. And the ecologist report said that currently the proposed plans couldn't mitigate uh disturbing the bats and that the work shouldn't go ahead but they also reminded them that they couldn't do any works without notifying the authorities and getting the, the proper license uh, so that was october in december 2019 uh the opw were actually doing the works mm-hmm. without any license um the you know without, this- without
1: taking cognizance of the of the uh the ecological report that they were that we'd commissioned and paid for
3: Yep, they completely ignored that. Uh, So somebody reported them um, to the National Parks and Wildlife Service, and the the park ranger went out, found verified that they were actually carrying out these works with no license. So they were sent a letter then saying, you know, you need to stop this, the cease and desist letter in December 2019. And in January 2020, the park ranger went back to Emo Court and they were still working away. Um, So they were literally just ignoring. The, the laws, the Habitats Directive, which, you know, what's interesting about this is that the so National Parks and Wildlife Service did the report. Um, it took a few months. They got uh, statements, affidavits from various witnesses and filed that report in November 2020. So at this stage, Malcolm Noonan has taken over as the minister uh, in literally one month to the day of the report. He announced he was going to be taking a zero tolerance approach on, on wildlife crime. And yet this report arrives in. Now, what we need to find out of Malcolm Noonan is, did he know about this report? Now, I have asked him in questions. So, I mean, I think he, he must have, but he needs to answer that. Um, and why didn't he act on it? Because the recommendation from the report couldn't have been any clearer. It, it recommended prosecution and recommended using the state uh, attorney and what was redacted in the report was some barrister, but they said, look, the OPW are going to defend this, but we actually have to prosecute them. And there's the summary offence is in the report. Um, and yet they didn't follow through. So, you know, they you know, it's a Green minister who should have followed through on the advice. But equally, the, the concerning bit is they don't have discretion to not follow through. It's not like a... a, 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 a I had it explained to me by no. a lawyer. Annex four species, you don't get any discretion if you disturb it should, that It, should, it
1: shouldn't should be. be it shouldn't but I mean it does seem and I again um, following on from this full disclosure, I, I I know one of the solicitors who who gave advice on this, and they confirmed that you couldn't. Uh, that that you know, mm. it's not it's not up to administer a minister of state or the minister to say, "Oh, we will or won't actually act on this. We won't prosecute." This is what it's there for.
3: And the biz- the bizarre part, Tony, is when I was because I knew there was the report because I had FY the emails and they talked about the Rangers doing this report. So in a parliamentary question, they told me there was no report. Um, so then we had to go to the office of the information commissioner appeal us, which costs money and that's fine. I'm, I'm in a position to do it, but you know, the average Joe isn't, we got, eventually got the report, uh, back. But, um, as I said, we were, we were completely stonewalled on it. And, uh, like I've lost my train of thought there, sorry. It's, but anyway, yeah. we we got the, we have this report and uh, yeah, and they're not acting on it. And yeah. you know, and we were de- they would deny that it ha- that it happened, uh, or that the report was even carried out. So
1: yeah, it, like it's it the whole thing just shows you how these. I mean, I saw a report today, another another uh, article, I think in the, uh, it might be in the Business Post as well, and I could correct it later on if it wasn't. But showing the like. One of the well-known developers has over a hundred and twenty thousand unpaid um, sites taxes that they haven't paid for for their sites, and they're just sort of going, "Yeah, so what?" You know, so you know, we don't, we don't, we have a tendency to mess up when it comes to these things. I do need to move on, Lynn, I know if you have to run off, do do indeed, but before you do, would be uh, we're going to go to Shamim now, uh, and this is not to have a take at Julian, but this is the these are the facts. That Sinn Féin councillor this week talking about uh, uh, his area becoming a dumping ground for illegal migrants. I don't, I don't, I hate that rhetoric. I hate that, that that kind of commentary. And unfortunately, people are getting, it's becoming more prevalent. It's across all walks of society. Harry, you pointed this out today. It's not all, it's not, it's all parties and none. And it's all walks of society, but it's becoming more and more prevalent. And there shouldn't be a place for it in 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 our politics, Slim.
3: No, absolutely not. Uh, the, the post is completely inappropriate and not reflective of, of Sinn Féin party policy. Um, I, I'm not sure what the process is now in terms of the individual. I mean, that's a matter for, for the party head office, but they were completely shocking. I, I saw the Facebook post and it's absolutely
4: yeah, inappropriate and <laughs> so called
3: for language. Um, but it is concerning because we know probably now we're at the highest risk in terms of far-right rhetoric and because the Ukraine crisis and the numbers are so large and because of the complete ineptitude of the government to, to address this, you know, and to, to properly give emergency accommodation. Um, but it's up to politicians to show leadership on this and to not give any space at all to far-right rhetoric.
1: Which is why I want to come to Shamim, because Shameem, you had a great story, hate to say it yet again on the immigration beat, but showing... That um, that the judicial review process for people who are seeking asylum or maybe indirect provision have uh, has been delayed so much so that's having knock-on impacts elsewhere, and uh, it's just yet again another example of the system is actually set up to make it even more and more difficult now. Oh, we've lost your meme. Bear with us, folks. we could try to get your meme back. Apologies about that. Hopefully, Shamim will rejoin us. One thing that actually, and and Harry, I will ask you again to comment on on what we just discussed with Lynn there. But one thing that was actually jumped out on Shamim's story was people five years in direct provision now coming over two years waiting on their appeal, uh, having to hear about possibly being charged rent for, uh, you know, for for going into direct provision. And uh, if you recall, only a few months ago, we heard how, you know, Justice Minister Helen McEntee was lauded for this amnesty scheme. None of these people are are uh, eligible for it. They've been left out. They've been left out. So yet again, we find out that this thing that we all thought maybe or maybe this is the beginning of of uh, a process where people can enter into to becoming Irish citizens. They're actually being denied it just because they're being delayed within the judicial review system. It's it's really really poor form. Sorry, Harry. Can I
4: have you got any comments? Uh, I've got one, one small thing I can sort of to illustrate. And so thing talked about is and part of the. I was going a couple of this when I was talking about the polls more generally, but I think it's actually relevant to this. When we look at the issues with again language being used, the general sentiment towards refugees and the change in that, there was uh, two questions asked in the um, Ipsos poll in the Irish Times about refugees, and both of them came out with a, a negative response towards them. But the way both those questions were phrased were about too many refugees coming in. And no matter how many refugees arrive from Ukraine in this country, what should we do? So you can even see in that kind of, oh, you know, we're just asking questions, we're just gauging the public temperature on this thing. The phrasing of them is designed in such a way that it sounds menacing. It sounds like it's too many, like there's more you can handle that. narrative's already being set. And what that ties into it, you know, when we see local politicians, and again, yeah, it's not just Sinn Féin, we've seen pretty much every party, unfortunately, have Uh, a council or in some cases more senior members go off on one about this. Um, They are responding to what they read. They are responding to what their constituents read. And you get this vicious cycle of information where we're being told, well, people think there are too many refugees or people think we just have to deal with it on the basis of not letting people in rather than, as the guys have mentioned, reforming the system. And then that creates a cycle where public representatives say that that emboldens more people. And when you talk again, as, uh, as Lynn has about the far right and so on, that's where we get that kind of space being opened up. And instead of moving people away from it, we see politicians, media, polling companies, whoever's setting these questions and narratives and making these statements, try to move into that space themselves to freeze out the far right instead of moving the way we're talking about it and the way we're addressing the system. And that's really dangerous. And that very small polling tidbit, as insignificant as it might seem, I think really represents how we're talking about it and how we're moving towards that end of the spectrum
1: well well we're asking that question imagine if we'd framed the question saying do you think some of the 166,000 um vacant homes should be used in to, as, as an emergency measure you know could we ask those questions in the poll harry rather than as you say frame those questions i know Shami was back but i don't know if we have audio no I'm afraid not. But look, I, I, the link is is going to be in this. I think it's a really, really powerful piece. The the Shamim spoke to, again, someone who's actually contributed to this podcast a few times, um, Bolani Mfako and his situation. And I'm ta- going back to last week, whereby um, the political editor of the Irish Examiner reported, you know, uh, government, almost a government fact sheet in relation to people seeking uh, refuge as if you could only do it coming from a war-torn country Um that was clearly that is clearly not the case that is not does not legal and the idea that that was the, that that was the issue uh, means ireland would not be living up to its international obligations so you know we just have to keep an eye on but you but both harry and lynn are, are correct sorry lynn did you want to come in
3: Well, it's just the the other story that was in the papers um, about the people who have the right to remain in the country. They've already got their leave to remain being given eviction letters this week. Um, You know, and we know that the the numbers of, of people who are caught in that circumstances has rose from, like, 600 I think in 2018 to four and a half thousand people who are now in the direct provision system because they've nowhere else to go there is no accommodation for them to, to leave so at the time when we're introducing an eviction ban in the country the government is actually issuing eviction notices to people in direct provision as if they're there by choice I mean nobody is choosing to stay in a congregated living setting it's that there is no no, available. W- yeah. it,
1: it was put to, put to me by Gavin Elliott from Threshold, the legal officer with Threshold, that one of the reasons they're putting in the eviction ban is because they've run out of even people who maybe present a park gate street for emergency accommodation. So it's, it's just getting worse. It's not, it's, it's actually getting worse. When I opened this conversation by today, I said I should have let off with 11,000 people are now homeless. We know those numbers are a lot higher. We know we don't measure it accurately, but yet it's kind of fallen down the the news cycle we ha- they have successfully normalized it to a degree um which actually brings me back to those polls harry because you know depending upon who you read it's great news for the coalition or it's uh, it's a disaster that um the 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 budget bounce was good for Finnegal but not for finnfall so i mean what's your what's your take on it
4: yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting one. Like I've said before, I don't really think budget bounces manifest very clearly and take time to do so. There's no question that we've had two polls now with the Red Sea poll that came out, um, I think this morning that there has been a movement, a positive movement for a thinner gale, but the narrative that this is all just down to people rewarding the government for the budget is it seems to me to be a bit n- not really supported by the evidence, although we don't necessarily have all the breakdowns from Red Sea yet. Because while the Ipsos poll in the Irish Times and also all of the media coverage and the six or seven articles they pumped out all the day about how this vindication of the government of the budget is the best thing ever, um that showed a rise for the other coalition parties, whereas... What we saw from Red Sea this morning showed that yes, we were gaining, but largely at the expense of the fall on the Green Party. So it doesn't necessarily support that kind of narrative. Simply when you look at the breakdowns, it's not as clear as it is. There's a lot of variation within that polling. There's potential for, for corrections from what we've seen before. I'm not just going to rehash my Twitter thread. Uh, <laughs> easy as that would be, but if you look at the, the breakdown of the numbers, it's not as clear as they try to as they try to talk about. It. It's not necessarily a case of. There's a very clear endorsement of the government coming from this. You have to remember that despite that being said, Sinn Féin are still miles ahead of the government, even in the Ipsos poll. So it's not like, sorry, ahead of Fine Gael, not the combined government. But you could see it's difficult to draw that conclusion necessarily. And I think there's a sense of overexcitement. And I think there's a sense that uh, the Irish Times in particular really wanted to read that result into what they were seeing rather than looking at the numbers. And there's a particularly good illustration of this because um yesterday we got some further public, and I don't know why they've drip fed it. They put up the... they Initial. Well we
1: well, well we led off with um uh, we led off with Pat Lee's editorial and the headline number. Sorry, and then we and then we sort of as you said we drip fed it over a number of days. Go ahead, Harry. Yeah,
4: and we, exactly which is confusing, but anyway, um they did there was some polling published uh, around the individual uh, cost of living in the budget. And what you get from that is a very interesting picture because the majority of people said they think the budget will help with the cost of living, but also people were split pretty much 50-50 saying that the government has no control over the cost of living. And also a majority of people were scared that government action would lead to increased inflation. So you don't have, as with all things, like people's views on things are complicated. They're influenced by their position, by how the question is phrased, by what they're looking at. So you look at those three things and you can take, oh, people like the budget in isolation. But then when you look at the other two, where, again, more people think, where pretty much an even number of people think, well, nothing the government does really controls any of this. And then people's fear about inflation of further government intervention. It doesn't paint as clean a picture as we have. Um, when we always get these, you might look at them on the negative side as incoherent, you might look at them on the positive side as being complex and nuanced, but you always get these kind of inconsistencies in polling data. And the problem is when the way we write about polling and the way media covers it tends to pick on one small thing or one small aspect and not look at the bigger picture of everything they're asking and how it ties together, they find something that supports, I don't want to say a narrative they want to spread. But, you know, it does look that way a little bit sometimes and fixate on that. And then we don't, we, we see the other stuff get published and it's like, hey, this doesn't necessarily all come together to paint the picture you're doing. And that annoys me. I think it's a disservice. I think these, uh, particularly confusing because these papers pay a huge amount of money to get these polls commissioned in the first place and then don't use like 80% of the data that comes out of them. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm not going to say it's been bad for Fine It hasn't. You've got two polls that have shown them going up. That's a good thing for them, absolutely. But the picture is much, much more complex and nuanced than what we got uh, during the week and or a few days ago from um, from the Irish Times coverage. Um, there's more going on than is said. I'd recommend everybody take a look through that data, take a look through those numbers. Uh, I'm not going to be... Wait,
1: what, what's <laughs> Go on, plug, plug your link there, Harry. Uh,
4: well, I haven't actually updated the website yet. I'll have to do that during the week, but... Uh, Irishelectionprojections.com. I will have an updated seat it's, projection in the next few days off the basis of this. It is always
1: well worth uh, following. And 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 Harry's narration tends to be based on the numbers, not on,
4: on, on these things. So I, I you well, know. <laughs> it's a combination of fact. That. that a little bit yeah. what you mean about it? there is one thing I want to add before we move on there very quickly, which it's, there is one very the one positive from the government which takes in this, I think, isn't the poll numbers, is the fact that there was a question asked about do people want an election? 57% of people basically said no, the government should serve its term. That, I think, is probably the biggest takeaway in terms of positivity in the government. It's not about the budget. It's not about a small increase for Finnegale. It's about the fact that now we actually have, not on Twitter, but in yeah. actual polling, a uh, sentiment on that. And the majority of people in this country don't want an immediate election. And I think that's very interesting. And I think that is something for the opposition as well to look at and say, hey, that needs to change. What are we doing that needs to move that forward? Sam?
2: I think I think that sort of points to maybe the government just shedding a sort of sigh of relief that they're not going to get kicked out in the next couple of weeks. It, there's no positivity there. It's just sort of stave of execution, really. Um, Yeah, it, the figures the figures can be distributed every way you want, but I think what, what Harry is saying there is the data shows nothing. <laughs> it shows that there's an increase here, a decrease there, and overall, uh, any budget bounce, is, is negated by the figures saying that the government have no direct control over it, so can, the budget bounce isn't down. Can, I, can I ask,
1: do you mind if I push and ask you a question, Sam? Yeah. Do you, do you think our, our government gets a lift by looking at the chaos? In,
2: in, oh, yeah. And, <laughs> well, yeah, either north or... or uh, north west, and our, north and west yeah. westminster. yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I think people are looking at the mess going, we, we need a bit of stability for the way we don't want that chaos. I mean, I even said in the podcast the other night... Um, as much as I'm an anti Tory guy, just let Rishi have a have a run here just to get a bit of stability in the markets and let's see where we can go. Because again, another set of if we have turmoil in the north and then we have turmoil across in the UK, uh, yeah, it's just gonna be a disaster. Can we
1: Shameem, can we see if if we can hear from you now, if you don't mind? No. <laughs> oh, we've had a disaster.
5: Take
2: take the headphones out, maybe.
5: Is that? Can you hear me now? We, well, we can hear you now, Shaimin. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So it was my earphone. Sorry about
1: that. No, not at all. Look, um, just first of all, um, I, we did cover a little bit about the about the piece, but can I ask you? Just we could go into it in a little bit, but I also think when we started having these conversations, um, we were talking about the need for people to be more educated on it. Media literacy mm-hmm. is an issue, and how it's and Harry's reasonably re- re- well framed out how. Uh, Described how framing is important. There were, I think it was Graham Clifford uh, made a comment that that the reporting on on immigrants and refugee issues has been irresponsible, and I I think I came to your defence and said, well, actually check out check out the work of the Dublin Inquirer. But nonetheless, how do you you must have found found that frustrating looking at some of the stuff that just came across and was just factually incorrect, and I, if I and maybe maybe even maybe some of it was a little bit of a dog whistle.
5: Um, yeah, I've been to the Department of Justice recently and asked them who are these anonymous sources or briefing, um, um, reporters. And it's fine if you want to uh, get, if you consider the scoop or you want to report it, that's completely fine. But basically you have, you can't let it go unchallenged. You know what I mean? That's the main issue. You can say they say this, but this isn't true because I'm not sure what kind of impact what kind of message we're sending out there? And um, we see with the Fein councillor today it was um, the hierarchy of illegal and legal refugees. And I'm only, i can only imagine by legal refugees he referring to um, Ukrainian refugees. You know, it's just—and it's gotten worse. And uh, the story that you asked me that you wanted me to talk to about, like um, Ireland has the lowest number of judges by far in the in the European Union, and um, the amount of and we only highlighted that that when people uh, get to the late last stage of the asylum and they turn to the higher course and they are in these delays and it's just their lives and limbo. Lost some of them are working, you know, paying their taxes and everything. But the amount of hatred we got and that the people were like, "You're uh, advocating for failed, uh, for false asylum seekers, bogus asylum seekers to be able to stay in the country," and someone. I had to because there was a subscriber who wrote us and I had to write back to him and I said... Did you even read the article? You know, we weren't advocating for anything. Like if you're, a, if you're a migrant and your citizenship applications rejected, you have the right to go to the higher court. So everybody has this, right? You can, Tony, you can, uh, everybody on the chat can go to the higher courts, you know. And then I told this person that you, your problem is that you don't want, you want people to be stripped off this, right? This is what you want. And why don't you write it to your, Local TD or your minister, why do you say we were advocating for something that we weren't? You know, it's just the rhetoric. I this is something that I've been noticing that has gotten worse, and people are just right there to just comment something nasty. And yeah.
1: and, and and no one is illegal. No human being is illegal.
5: <laughs> yeah, you either you either have the documents that you should have, you or you don't have. Not like you're illegal or legal. And I there's something I've noticed recently that I like to say. It, um, there I saw somebody was like I work for the Department of Children and Equality and they were like um, I um, I was busy <laughs> helping um, real refugees you know and this person was claiming to be on site in City of West and was holding up uh, City of um letterhead or whatever so I got onto the Department of Equality and I was asking them is this person working for you and how do you even make sure that these people are like not pushing the real refugees versus on mm. January, you know, in January,
1: refugees, yeah, which is which is really worrying. I mean, it is it, it like Lynn, you pointed it out. there is definitely if you were if you were that way minded, you could make political capital that direction now. It, it's becoming a, a a comfortable space for for people to talk about, um much more so than than we would have thought. and it's been underplayed in Ireland as we know for a number of years. but, you know, uh, all parties need to stand up and we need to show, lead- they need to show leadership now.
3: Um, I mean, uh, but yesterday, even when I was on RTE with uh, Sean Fleming, who's a minister, like some of the, the comments he was saying, like my jaw was on the, on the floor, you know, the, about the direct provision that they can join the social housing list or get a job. And you're like, these, these people have jobs. <laughs> and this idea like that social housing or, you know, or get a job, I was like, people who live in, Public housing work as well. Do you mean just this lazy narrative that was put out there that then feeds that idea that, you know, someone in direct provision can just leave and walk into a, into a social house? Do you mean they, they join the queue like everybody else and there are no houses. Everybody knows how long the queues are. But it's it, like when you have a minister on the radio coming out with just sort of those lazy narratives feeding that misinformation that's out there. Mm. Uh, so go
2: ahead,
1: Shamim.
5: Yeah, like in 2020, I wrote about how difficult it is for an asylum seeker also to rent. Um, and it, obviously, the landlords sometimes they're really, really biased when you say, oh, I live in direct provision, you know, because landlords, even from everybody, they want character references. They want um, your previous landlord to give you a letter, you know, and when you're, especially because some, of, some people in direct provision are so isolated, they can't bring on proper character references or anything. And, you know, it's just... This is something I, I'm so stigmatised for landlords to, for you to say, oh, this is my first time renting. Previously, I lived in direct provision. They would immediately see you as somebody who wouldn't pay their rent uh, on time, who's just, who's a freeloader, you know. This is because of this um, toxic rhetoric that's out there, you know.
2: I mean, I think what Shabin was saying there is perfect. It, we we remove the first two rungs of the ladder so people can't get onto it in the first place. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're putting a barrier up. I mean, we have the same problem uh, across Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. People will tweet, what about our veterans? They're a homeless? Why are we giving it? Why are we deciding between the two? Why is there a need that is one or the other? Why are we not providing for both? I think we're looking in the wrong direction when we start looking at somebody else on the same sort of level of us and blaming them for our issues. We need to be looking above because it's mismanagement of the government. It's mismanagement of funds. It's The money is there. It's just not being used correctly or it's being funneled to those who don't need it. Well, we need to be looking at that. You're on mute tons.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just I said I said I agree with every word you said, Sam, but I just think I just it's think- um the idea like we see this ECB putting up rates by 0.75. Intent on going full um, Bank of England on it, it was copying the Fed. People are going to find it more and more difficult now. It's it, it, rents are up, um, house prices are are wobbling majorly. Asking prices are falling now. Uh, let's tell, let's let's call it. That's not a bad thing we could we could do with that. But now the central bank is chasing it by increasing the amount people can borrow. Uh, you know, we could we could find ourselves having a real shit storm of uh, of a confluence of. A human human right crisis uh, and a humanitarian crisis and food insecurity on the grow, on, on on the growth we've seen warnings all all week about the issues around i mean did anybody see the story about the Ukrainian minister apparently complaining about russian fertilizer being used and there's a, but there's a UN fertilizer um and grain deal between the UN and Russia and Ukraine to stop people from from starving, and I'm thinking, why are we, why are we talking about this? We need to get the, you know, we need to get the grain out of out of Ukraine and out of Russia. We need to help people grow their crops and bring in their crops. It just seems to be there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's that's passing under the radar and I'd be very concerned I mean the idea that Christine Lagarde was back on was on the late late the other day I was I was thinking myself going this couldn't get any more 2007 or 2008 than it, than it is now so yeah it's it's a scary time when it when when you look at it in the full context I'm conscious of time I know people need to get off so uh, Harry you really wanted to talk about the um, now what do we do about Twitter because we're all now owned by Elon Musk this was something that was really ag- agitating you all week
4: come on tell us harry i have no idea where you got that from tony yeah
1: <laughs> no, I, no i think your i think your comment was do you think this place is going to be this hell oh. site is going to be even more of a hell site now
4: well yeah i mean look it's 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 going to get worse obviously um but it's already pretty bad at the moment let's be let's be real as somebody who spends too much time on twitter it's not already it's already not a nice place so look i'm not an expert on those things but it does seem to me that um we're going to I'll give you actually an actually illustrative example of the coverage of this has been so bad, right? Yeah. Uh, I had a friend of mine who is incredibly offline, like doesn't have a Twitter account, barely uses social media, asked me, um, I can't remember exactly the name, it, but asked me basically who's this guy? And it was the pseudonym of a prominent far-right account that's agitating to be restored to Twitter, right. simply because some journalists had written about all of these far right accounts that are agitating to be returned to Twitter, meaning that people who are offline now know who these people are. And I'm like, why are we why are you why are we having that conversation? It's gone it's a complete overreaction twitter's bad it's going to continue to be bad yes it's going to get worse it's going to get worse for particularly for vulnerable people mm-hmm. um, but the way the media are approaching it and the way the coverage and the rhetoric on twitter in the media everywhere is approaching it is totally out of whack at the moment um, we need to be realistic about it and stop accidentally you know oh i remembered who it was uh, meaning that offline people now know who, and I'm not making this name up, Cat Turd 2 is. So yeah, um, and I've just said it. I shouldn't have said it, actually. <laughs> Other people have asked questions. But this is how bad that conversation has gotten already, and it's barely even happened. So yeah, that's going to get worse.
1: Yeah, I do. I, I find it. I find it, the only thing, like, um, the idea that I do disagree with was, I don't know, again, I, I, anyone else would love to get your take on this, but the idea that people should have to get verified I mean you only have to look at what's happening in Iran, what's happening in other countries and say that's a bad idea. That that's a bad idea. Like it's a, only people who are people who have a lot of privilege can afford to say that in my opinion. You know, if I I mean Shameen, you talk to people who are in direct provision who are afraid to give their names. Imagine if they said something on 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 social media and they were verified, they they'd fear repercussions
5: surely. Yeah, yeah, that's true but um in terms of people sources, I just want to say that I'm seeing more and more people realize that talking to me doesn't even doesn't doesn't impact their cases badly. In most cases, we've seen that it actually helped them. Mm. um I really like to get the message out there that talk to the journalists are not going to to hurt your case, or the government wouldn't be retaliating. Sometimes, some sometimes somebody has other oh, security fears, you know. Yeah. But like I haven't seen somebody. Because they talked to me, they got into trouble, I got deported or anything, you
1: know. Yeah, but I again I think that's a fair point. Lynn, you, you've you've uh, you've had your your fair share of the of the twi- the Twitter trolls. Uh, are you looking forward to now um the, the re the reintroduction of the, the, the Trump the Trump uh, bots and, and all of that into, into our world again?
3: I, I think I have them all blocked at this stage. I think I've thirteen thousand accounts <laughs> blocked. <laughs> I think it was from the repeal shield. Yeah. Um, But what was very interesting was that um, at the time of, you know, with Ibrahim is where I got all of the the pile on. But uh, there's such a crossover of, you know, the people who are really bad on that issue are also really bad. Surprise, surprise on a whole pile of other issues, including abortion rights. And So you found that actually it was quite nice for me because they were all blocked with repeal shields that kind of filtered them all out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I enjoy being on Twitter I've probably spent too much time on it as well, but, um, it is a bit worrying. I think yesterday uh, one of the accounts that Eric is, Halthouse has been fired and he's one of our climate mm. experts. Do you know what I mean? So there, you know, there's, there's worrying trends ahead, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think Elon Musk is any worse than Mark Zuckerberg. To be honest, all, well, of, these, I, all of these sites have have issues. Do you know what I mean, so
1: I I, I think uh, yeah, no, I agree, and I think that that it's going to be it's it, it it it's not a fair reflection, obviously, of of reality. As Harry says, wouldn't you love to be that guy who Harry said is very offline, Sam? Wouldn't that yeah, just isn't uh, that the dream?
2: It is a dream, and as many times I sit and go, like it. And off of social media, I'm going in and I realise I need it. It's 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 a Oh, it, it's a double-edged sword and we, we get cut too often. I mean, Lynn said that she has most of them blocked. They've probably all got new accounts by now, Lynn, yeah. unfortunately, and that's that's the problem. Um, we We do a podcast and thankfully most of the feedback we get is positive. But then I get I, get, I do get a, a trial of um, trolls coming through and it's half and half. I mean, either I'm, a, I'm an orange scumbag drug dealer or else I'm a Lundy that needs hung for being a traitor. You know, I can't win either way. So if I'm upsetting everybody, I must be doing something right.
1: Oh, don't go down that centrist road. Don't you dare. <laughs> go on.
3: <laughs> I got hacked on Instagram and it was impossible to actually get it so- sorted. So I had to leave. Just <laughs> I, well, I don't well, miss it. It was great. I'm a crypto bro now, so if anybody gets any messages from my Instagram account, it's not me. But uh do you remember Dave, Dave Gogardi's one? Yeah,
1: David Odarty, someone someone had like David Odarty on Instagram and was messaging going hi I am the real David Odarty and I just noticed that you really like my stuff and then, <laughs> then it quickly became by the way you know Bitcoin
3: <laughs> well that was it I think everyone realised it wasn't me when I was boasting about the Range Rover at Boss they all kind of went hang on a second we know Lynn hates SUVs <laughs> oh, yeah. I,
1: I would be worried that that we'll, uh, we'll end up with oh, look I don't know uh, how much worse it can get like I, I, I do quite i i like that the people who hate me hate me off to the side they go off on treads and they just talk about me in general and it's kind of nice you know but i i i think i've said this before one of them described me as as the as the uh podcasting james corden as the as the ultimate put down. And I think that's pretty fucking good. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's that it's it, deeply unlikable. And, and and it's just it was nice. But um no look, we, we'll leave it there. I know we're um people have to, Shamim's chasing another lead for another story. Have you anything else
5: working on Shamim that you can tell us about? Basically, what I'm working on is the issues that we were talking about just now. um, Asylum misinformation that's coming from government sources. Yeah.
1: Very good. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Harry's going to update his, uh, his, his website by the end of today, I'm assuming, Harry, no?
4: No, no, uh, bank holiday, so I think I'll probably do it on Monday. Uh yeah. Today is just for relaxing. I'll, I'll see you.
1: I'll see you in the diggers or in the cobblestone. Which is it? And uh, we, we'll make a call. Lynn, thanks so much for your time. Uh We really appreciate it. And Sam, thanks for stepping in and and giving us a dig out. The other fellas probably telling everybody he's unwell, but I think he's milking it at this stage.
2: Yeah, um, I agree. I
1: agree. Have, uh, enjoy, enjoy your uh, your Halloween, folks. Talk to you soon.